Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me just start off by saying this to you. Based on what was shared, God is in control of anything we give Him control of. And I'll explain that as we go along here tonight. As we submit to Him and yield to Him, we can be assured that all things do work together with Him. You know, our world is messed up. There's a lot going on out there, and it's messed up. You know, I remember in the days when they had presidential debates and people were polite to one another. And uh, when they had, when the president gave the State of the Union address, people were polite on both sides of the aisle. And uh, the world and, and the political world has digressed into what, where it is today where people are being encouraged to hate each other. Being encouraged to uh, decide that the other side is, is evil. And it uh, doesn't matter which side you're on. I mean, we, we're being told that the other side is evil. And, uh, you know, it, it's messed up. We need God in America again. We talked about last time how that uh, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. God intends for the Christian people to be Christian people, not passive, mamby-pamby people. We have this idea that a life of faith is a life of, of, of laying down and, and rolling over. The reality is the life of faith is a life of war because the Scripture says we fight a fight of faith. Faith is fighting. Believe is a verb, not a noun that says I sit on the couch and wait for God to do something. Believe is actively pursuing the things of God, understanding that faith without works is what? Dead. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's inactive, inoperable. But as we act on what we believe, that means loving our enemies. That means, that means operating as a man or woman of faith, believing that what God has said is absolutely true. The reality tonight is that we need what's impossible. Some of us in this room and our bodies, we need something impossible. In our families, some of us need something that's impossible. I mean, in, in financially, some of us need a miracle. There are things that are going on, and we need the supernatural hand of God to be made manifest and what we cannot do is sit down and wait for God to do something I think God's waiting for us to do something he's waiting for us to believe him you can't ask God to do what he's asked you to do do I need to say that one more time you can't ask God to do what he's asked you to do we're going to talk about that some more tonight. So we've been trained in, in the Christian world that, that, well, you know, it's all up to God. No, it is not. Well, you never know what God will do. Yes, you do. Whatever He's promised in His Word, He will do. It would behoove us to know what the promise is. It would behoove us to know what was left to us in the will. Because if we understand what is ours from the will of God, then we'll know what we're supposed to do. We ended last time with this passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus is coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. He's with 
Peter, James, and John, and they're coming down, and the other disciples, the other nine are trying to cast a demon out of a boy, and they can't get the demon out of him. And so the man, when he sees Jesus, he goes over, and, 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 and Jesus says, what's wrong? They tell him, and he says, what, what's going on? The man says, you know, this demon tears him up, throws him in the fire, tries to kill him all the time. And, and Jesus said, how long? And he said, since he was a boy. And then the guy looks at Jesus, and he makes this statement. He said, if you can do anything, have pity on us. That is the average prayer of most Christians. God, if you will just do something. God, if you would just give me a miracle. God, if you would do something, my problem would be dealt with. If you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus did not say, well, you know, of course, I'm Jesus, so I guess I can if I want to. Or he didn't, he didn't say, well, you know, it's just not my time. My time, you know, here's my answer. Yes, no, or wait a while. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you can help us, have pity on us and, and, and do something. And Jesus said, you say to me, if I can do anything, why, all things are possible to him that believes. Not to him that does everything right. Not to him that is flawless. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. The guy said, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now, I'm not making those verses up. I mean, they're in the Bible. Jesus really did say that. And he said similar things in other parts of the scripture. But the crux of what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you know, why are you waiting for me? Why are you waiting for me? See, we think we're waiting for God to do something. Jesus was saying, God's waiting for you to do something. Yeah, but, but, but wait a minute, isn't that works? No, faith is not works. Faith is belief, and belief draws grace that manifests itself in the, in the, in the favor of God in all of our lives. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. The little phrase, all things, literally means everything, all things are possible. And I, told, I think I told you this last time, the word possible is the Greek word dunata, which comes from the Greek word dunamis. Dunata means ability, power, or one who is able or capable or competent. This is talking about a supernatural competency, a supernatural ability that comes to fruition on our behalf when we believe what he said. When Jesus said all things are possible to him that believeth, he's talking about the word. All things are possible to anyone who can believe what God has said. Here's, and here's where we are as Christians. The devil comes right now and he says, see there, you're not a very good Christian. Because you've got all these problems. You're not able to believe and so you're not very good. Remember this, the devil is a liar. Lying is his native language. And when he comes and starts bringing condemnation, we need to stop him in his tracks and tell him no. Just because you haven't seen the manifestation yet doesn't mean it's all over with yet. And that's the problem we have is, well, yeah, but I believed that it didn't work. Well, you didn't, then don't quit believing because belief doesn't give up halfway through. We stay with what God said. I'm going to tell you something. We need to be willing to go to the grave with what God said. 
See, if I'm willing to believe God, no matter how long it takes, I'm convinced it won't take so long. Say that again. If I'm willing to believe God, no matter how long it takes, it won't take so long. Because you have to, you got to get hold of what I call just bulldog tenacity. You know why a bulldog has that flat face? Because I'm going to tell you, when it grabs hold of a bone, it's not going to let it go. And you can't grab his snout because it's all stuck in there. And that dog is going to hold on to that bone. He's not going to let go for you or anybody. And you can't make him let go of it. And we need to be tenacious like that bulldog and say, you know what, God? You said it. I don't care how long it takes me. I don't care, God, if it takes until Jesus comes back. I believe what you said. And because I believe you, I know I have what I'm believing for. Because you said it. And listen, whatever he said, his word is his will. And I can bank on that. The scripture says if I ask anything according to his will, I know that he hears me. And if he hears me, I know that I have the petition that I've desired of him. That's in 1 John chapter 5. I know that. If I pray whatever he said, whatever he's promised me, that is his will. Releases his power. And Christians have become so passive. Oh God, please, please heal, heal, heal Brother John. And when Brother John didn't get well, it's what, well, must not be God's will. Show me one time in the Bible that it's not. Just say it. God's will is is in his word and he will tell us what he, he's told us some things that we need to know. When we believe the word, the impossible becomes possible. Because another place Jesus said nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He said with man it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So our belief teams up with him. Now what we need to learn how to do then is we need to walk in authority so that God's purpose can be made manifest in the world in which we live. We as a church and we as individuals need to see the supernatural power of God released through us, through because we believe what he said. I don't know, we need miracles, so we need to take control of the things he's called us to do. Here's how, there are two kinds of two thoughts. Here are two thoughts. One thought, remember, one thought is what I think, what I call the Geraldine complex. Remember years ago, there was a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson? And Flip Wilson had this character on this variety show, and the character's name was Geraldine. And very often, Geraldine, see, I can talk to this group and say that. There's another group I can go talk to. I teach a youth group on Friday night. If I said this, they wouldn't have any idea what I'm saying. But Geraldine, one of the things she often said was, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Christians have, many Christians have this idea. Everything that happens is the devil's fault and the devil made me do it and there's nothing you can do when the devil does it. That's a lie from the devil. Okay, because can I just throw this out to you tonight? The devil can't make you do anything. Let me tell you something else is true. God can't make you do anything either. For us to say, the devil made me do it. I mean, it's just the devil. The devil made me do it. I'm sorry, honey. The devil made me cuss at you. The devil. I bind you, devil, and I cuss at the dog. 
No, that's not that's not the truth. Oh, then there's this opposite, opposite way. Religions taught people to say, well, God is in control of everything. I know you're looking at me like he is, isn't he? Let's just talk about it for a minute. We have we made this statement, and the statement is true, but we need to understand what the statement means. We've said God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Well, let me just let me just throw this out to you. I challenge you to get a King James Bible and find the word sovereign in it. It's not in there. I've already studied it out. So in a King James Bible, in the Textus Receptus, which is the which is the which is the Greek version of of, of the New Testament that comes from that, and the, and the Hebrew version from the Textus Receptus, you cannot find the word sovereign. Just throwing that out. Can't find it. When the King James says the Lord God, the two words together, the Lord God, some other translations say sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Am I messing with you too much? It's just going to get worse over the next few minutes. Neither of the words sovereign Lord or Lord God in Hebrew means sovereign. The two words, when the scripture says in the Hebrew, Lord God, the two words are Yahweh, Elohim. You know, Yahweh, it means the self-existent eternal one, the one without beginning, the one without end. Elohim means God's, and it's, it's plural, it's talking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? So when it says Lord God, it's talking about Yahweh Elohim. Religion has created the invention of a new meaning for the word sovereign. And so when, they, when Christians sometimes say sovereign, what that says to them is basically that God controls everything and that nothing can happen apart from his will. God's in control. God is in control. Well, the word sovereign, let's just talk about it from the English definition for a moment. The word sovereign is, is, is defined as paramount or supreme. The word sovereign is defined as having supreme rank or power, independent or sovereign state or excellent. Based on those definitions, God is sovereign. God is is supreme. He has the highest rank and the highest power, but none of those definitions say that he controls everything. If God is in control of everything, if he's in control of everything, he's doing a bad job. <laughs> to say he's in control of everything says he's in control of the rapist says he's in control of ISIS. Is he in control of those people? To say God is in control of everything says he's in control of, of, of that mess that took place in the, in the uh, uh, deal about Judge Kavanaugh. And I believe God, my personal opinion, has got to have his way in the end because the people of God prayed. But I'm going to tell you something. If the people of God didn't pray, it wouldn't have happened that way. Because we need to understand that something about the sovereignty of God is that, is that he, he is in control of anything we give him control of. You know, we've, we've said everything works together for good. Well, I just believe everything works together for good. 
No, it doesn't. It only works together for good to a certain group of people, to those that love God, to the called according to his purpose. And that's what the scripture teaches us. God is in control. Is God in control of everything? Oh, yes, yes, he is. Well, is he in control of you? Was he in control tonight when you got the second piece of pecan pie? Yes. He must have been in control of that <laughs> the, question is, the question is, did he make you get the second piece? Or did you choose the second piece? The devil made me do it. The devil. It was the devil that made me do it. Man, that's what I, I would like for that to be it. I mean, is God in control? When you choose onion rings over french fries, it's just the sovereign will of God. Is God in control when you yell at your spouse? Did he make you do that? Is that his perfect plan for your life? I mean, this is a logical question to me. How can I say that God is in control of everything when God isn't even in control of me? When I can do what I want to do. See, people, the same person who says, well, brother, prayer changes things. That same person says that God is in control. If God is in control, why do we need prayer? If it's going to happen, the way it's going to happen, we're wasting our time to pray. Jesus said, to pray, in, in, in Matthew 6, verse 10, he says, Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Why would I pray for his will to be done in the earth if it doesn't matter, if it's everything's going to happen according to his will? Let me say this to you again. We cannot ask God to do what he asked us to do. His will is done when the people of God agree with him and believe him and do what he said. Prayer does change things because the will of God is not being done. And when the people of God pray, then the will of God can be done. See, it's often assumed that because God is supreme, that he's in control of everything and then whatever is his will will be done. Let me read you a verse of scripture. Second Peter 2 verse 9. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Now listen to this next part. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's the will of God? That no one perishes, that all come to repentance. What's going on in the world today? Not all are repenting. Not all are going to heaven. Many are perishing. And they're perishing against the will of God. They stay in their sin, not because that's God's will, but because, but because they've chosen something. So the will of God, in, in, that, in that situation, the will of God is not being done. So God isn't in control of that. Even though His will is totally different than that, these people, these people are, are violating the will of God. People go to hell against the will of God. Jesus said, narrow is the way 
that leads to that leads to righteousness. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Most people are in opposition to the will of God. Amen. This is something to think about, isn't it? Amen. You see, not, not everything is the will of God. We need to recognize that. I want you to think about these verses here. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, the Bible says of Uzziah, the king of Judah, it says, And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As, now the will of God is for him to prosper. The will of God is that, that the covenant go forth from the throne of, of Judah. As long as he sought the Lord, that happened. Uzziah had a choice to make, and he had something to do with that prospering that took place. And when he didn't follow the Lord, the will of God wasn't being done. It was his choice. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 7, he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. He that knocketh, seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now here, the subject is you. You ask, you seek, you knock. That's how you get what God wants you to have. What happens if you don't ask, seek, or knock? You don't get it. It doesn't happen for you. Okay? The choice is mine to make. That's the choice we make. Tammy and I had a conversation tonight before we came over here, and she was talking about men in general. And she said, <laughs> she, we were talking about looking for stuff and how that, well, I go look for it and I never can find it. And she says, she says, you have to seek for it, honey. You seek and you will find. And I said, no, my, my philosophy is the first part of that verse, ask. <laughs> and so I ask, honey, where is it? She seeks and she finds it. That's how it works for us. The will of God here is for me to ask, for me to seek, for me to knock. Jesus said this in Luke 6:38, "Give and it shall be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give your bosom for the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again." What if I don't give? I don't receive. Whose choice is that? And who's in control? I'm in control. I can't tell you how many Sundays that Tammy and I pray for people with financial problems and the first question we ask is, are you a tither? And their response is, no. And our answer is, you've got to give God something to work with here. Whose choice is it? It's their choice. They've chosen that. I remember one time counseling this couple, and, and I don't want to get on to anyone, but they, 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 they were have, their life was a mess. I mean, they were in trouble in every way you could think of. And the biggest problem was that they were, they were living together. They weren't even married. And they told me all these problems that were going on. And, and I fi they finally got through with their, their, their deal. And I looked at them, because this is what I do as a pastor. If you ever need help, this is what's going to happen to you. They looked, at, they looked at me, and I said, okay, let me ask you a question. What did you expect me to say when you came in the door? And the little girl looked at me, got tears in her eyes, and she said, that we're in sin? <laughs> well, she knew the answer. The choice was hers to make, not mine. And so they made a choice that day, and they began to fix it. But they had to choose what God wanted. The scripture says in James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The will of God is for the devil to flee from you. But what happens if you don't resist him? And whose choice is it? It's your choice 
to resist. It's your choice to submit. I mean, that's something that we do. God isn't in control of that. He is sovereign. He is supreme. Yet in His sovereignty, He gave you and me a free will. And we get to choose. And He gave us the authority to exercise His plan in the earth if we choose to believe and we choose His plan. We've got to begin to be people who take control. That's what we're called to do. God gave man authority. He actually re-gave it to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave us the authority to take control of the enemy. The devil has too much control. He ought not to have any. Jesus said this in Luke 10:19, "Behold, I give you power," or the word really is authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions, which are which are which those words are pictures of demonic forces, demon spirits. I give you I give you the authority to tread on demon spirits and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Jesus gave us authority over all the power of the enemy. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What that's referring to is the fact that as God rules heaven, he's decided for man to rule the earth. When he put man in the garden, he intended for man to take charge. Man gave up that to the devil. But we are supposed to operate in authority according to Jesus so that we can take control of the enemy. It's the will of God for the, for, for the church to plummet the kingdom of darkness, rescue the people that are perishing, for the church to procure the promises that God has made to us. But we're going to have to, instead of sitting back and just, you know, oh God, I just expect your grace. You've got to expect the grace, but you better be taking the kingdom with violence. You've got to be believing him, standing on what he's promised. So we've got a job to do. We're going to take control. So let's look at a passage of Scripture. This is a long passage I'm going to read to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a very familiar passage, but, but I want you to listen to this. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at, at Shuko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched a tent between Shuko and Azekah in Ephesdamanin, whatever that is. And Saul said to the men of Israel that were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and the battle was in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target. Uh, of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. And that guy had to be pretty tough just to be holding that shield. It says, And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
This sounds like some church services I've been to. I mean, you know the story. It's the story of David and Goliath. The enemy is attacking them. The enemy is taunting them. The enemy is declaring to them that they're weak and they're cowardly. The enemy is is coming twice a day for 40 days because the enemy knows that if he can shout at you long enough and often enough that you eventually will believe what he is saying to you. And, And he's shouting at them day after day after day. I mean, he comes all the time. And and this story of David and Goliath, you know that that what David did was impossible. And yet he personally never doubted the outcome and he received the victory that a covenant man has. Here this enemy taunts them day after day after day. He taunted them for so long that he was in control. Isn't that right? Isn't Goliath the one in control here? He's in control. Goliath is in control. Let me ask you an important question. Why did Goliath get to make the rules? Because he decided to. (laughs) He decided to. Goliath took control. He decided these are the rules. You get your best guy, I'm our best guy. And if I beat your best guy, you're our slaves. If you beat me, then he, he knew that wasn't going to happen, or in his mind it wasn't going to happen, then we'll be your slaves. Why was he in charge? That's exactly what the devil does. He takes control. He, tra- he makes the rules, and the church has let him be in control. How is it that non-Christians can tell you what it's like to be a Christian? Oh, you're not acting like a Christian. Non-Christians will say stuff like this. Well, you know, Jesus came preaching love and acceptance. And Christians are swallowing that one. I'm just going to ask you to find the verse where Jesus preached love and acceptance. Jesus preached repentance and faith. He told us to love, but his sermon was repentance and faith. But the world has decided that if you're going to act like a Christian, then it's all about love and acceptance. We do need to love people. We don't have to accept their sin, but we have to love them. So the world has decided they're in control. Had David not come on the scene in this day, the Israelites would have been the slaves. Listen, if we don't take control, our nation is in peril. Our families, our health, Our communities will be enslaved to the rules of the enemy if we don't take control. David took control. The fact is, David, he slew Goliath long before he took out the sword and cut off his head. Because David knew that he knew that he knew that he was a covenant man. And he understood long before this. He couldn't even understand why they weren't fighting with Goliath yet. You know the story. Goliath comes out. Everybody gets in their foxholes or singing Kumbaya or whatever they're doing. And David's going, who is that guy? And they said, you don't know? That's Goliath. Oh, if you, if whoever kills him, man, they don't have to pay taxes anymore. I mean, they get to marry the king's daughter. They get this big reward. And he said, huh? Now say that again. 
Yeah, yeah, you get this reward. No more taxes. Marry the, the, the king's pretty daughter. Turns to another guy. Now, now tell me, what do I get if I kill him? David never doubted for a second that he was going to take this giant out. So David, here's how he took control. See, because Goliath had control. If I want the supernatural, I need to understand something. The devil can't be in control. We've got to take it from him. He took control, David did, because he knew that he had a covenant with God. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed the Philistine? This is what I was telling you about. And take away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David understood that the Philistine was uncircumcised and that even though he was a giant, he did not stand a chance against the Word of God. Can I tell you tonight, the enemies of the Word, whoever and whatever is disagreeing with what God said, contradicting the Word, they don't stand a chance against the Word. It's not in covenant with what God said. It, it, it can't have it. David took control because he knew he was in covenant. David took control because he was anointed. Remember Samuel came to the dinner that, that, that Jesse had and they brought all the boys in except for David. And he was going to anoint one of them to be the next king. And finally all these boys went by and, and, and none of them was the guy. And so Jesse says, so Samuel says, Jesse, don't, do you have another son? He said, yeah, but he's out there with the sheep. He said, get him. We're not eating dinner until that boy comes in here. And when David came, he anointed him to be the king. You have to understand something. If you're going to take control, you've got to have the anointing. You've got to be anointed. David took control because he spent time meditating in the promise of the covenant. David was out there with those sheep. He learned to play the harp. He's playing. He's singing. Taking care of the sheep. But you can tell he did that because of all those songs that he wrote. He was always focused on the covenant. Uh, wouldn't you like to have been there the day that he began to sing Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not one of all of his blessings. Who forgives me? Who heals me? I mean, he just began, he, he meditated in the covenant. He meditated in the fact that his sins were scattered apart as far as the east is from the west. That's a powerful statement, by the way. If you ever look at a globe, if you go far enough north, you'll go south. But if you go east, you'll never go west. East and west never meet. Our sins are scattered that far apart. He just meditated in all those things. He meditated. He recognized the covenant because he meditated. Listen, the devil doesn't have a chance against you if the word is stirred up inside of you all the time and you meditate. David took control because he had won a bunch of smaller battles. I love this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. It says, And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, it happened at least two other times. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth when he rose against me. I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. 
Once you get a picture of this, David is saying, <laughs> he's saying, you know what? The, he's meditating in the promise of God. And the lion comes and grabs a sheep. It's in his mouth. It says he grabbed him by the beard and smote him. That means he socked him in, in the face or wherever it was. He grabbed him and he hit him. He was not afraid of it. The bear came. He grabbed him by the beard, by the beard and hit him and defeated him. Listen, I want you to know something. David is saying, listen, this isn't my first big guy to fight. I'm in covenant with God. And this, this guy, this guy is nothing compared to a lion or a bear. He said, with my bare hands, I took them out. With the help of God. And I think he's also saying, you know, when David was out there with the lion, the bear, and all those sheep, I think he was praising God. And then he got his sling out, and he was hitting a rock over there, knocking that flower off the plant there. You know, the day he threw the rock at Goliath wasn't the first rock he ever threw. He had been working on it. He had been practicing it. I mean, the Lord trained him. He said in Psalm 144, he said, Bless me the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. David was out there. The Lord was training him with the lion and the bear. And David didn't even know it. He's worshiping God, throwing rocks at stuff, grabbing lions by the beard, smacking them in the head. I mean, it's just, it was just a thing that went on all the time with David. And he understood that this, this uncircumcised Philistine didn't have a chance. He spent hours learning to fight. He was trained, not the way Goliath was trained, but he was trained by God. And he never doubted it. He took control because, mostly because of his words. If you're going to take control, this is how you do it. With your words. I love it. In verse 32 it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go fight this Philistine. Now just imagine this. He's 17 years old. The, the Goliath had come out because he was, he, he said, You choose your guy. See, Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And so Goliath, he wanted Saul. David was just a little, little teenager. And he comes, to Goli- he comes to Saul and he says, Hey, never fear. I am here. And Saul's like, Who are you? He said, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm all you got because nobody else is stepping forward. I'm going to take care of him. I mean, he, he, he said, You know, I beat the lion and the bear. And then David said, Moreover, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David's words were exactly what he saw himself doing. He knew that what God promised him, that God would do, and all David said was the promise. He never said, I'm a little bit afraid. He never said, what if this doesn't work? All he did was quote God's promise to his covenant people. And then I love it when he's talking to Goliath in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Goliath had said, I'm going to feed all y'all to the birds. David said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will smite you and take your head from you. I love this, man. I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with a sword or with a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 
I mean, he, this young guy, he prophesied exactly what he was going to do. He looked at that big galoot and he said, listen, you're talking about killing me. You're talking about killing us. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. Your people are going to run. The only meat that these birds are going to eat is Philistine meat. And you just need to get ready for it. And the Bible says he, he ran at Goliath. Unafraid. His confession was absolutely based on what God promised him. Let me tell you something. We're going to take control the same way. We have a covenant. The scripture says we have a better covenant based on better promises built in the precious everlasting blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil, I'll tell you, when I was young and we would go cast out demons, we used to love to grab somebody and get a demon manifestation and then we would put our finger in some water and say, this water is the blood of Jesus. And we had touched them. And I'm telling you, demons would scream and squeal and do everything they could do to get out from under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have covenant because of his blood. We are anointed. The scripture says we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. An anointing. It says that, uh, that anointing abides on the inside of us. The devil can come to you and he can say, oh, you're not anointed enough to cast me out. Your answer is, oh, yeah, let's just watch what happens. I will cast you out. I will drive you out of my home. I will drive the sickness out. I will drive your your threats out. I will do what God called me to do. We can meditate in the Word. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not in the Word every day, we're making a huge mistake. If we're not proclaiming the promise every day, we're making a huge mistake. If you're in a fight over something, you need to find what does the Bible say. And you need to begin to meditate in it. We've won battles in the past. Remember all those things God has delivered you from so far? God didn't bring you out of all that to to let you die right now. He didn't do all that for nothing. You have had victories in the past, and you can, based on those victories, you already know you're in covenant with God. He's going to do what he said. And I'll tell you, most of all, we speak words of faith. Faith words win every time. Faith words dominate the devil when we speak them out of our heart. Listen, we need to take our health. We need to take our families, our city. We've got a Goliath to overcome, but we've got to take control. We've got to decide we're the ones in charge. The battle is not won with carnal weapons. It's not against human beings. It's fought with mighty weapons in the realm of the Spirit. Mighty weapons from God. It's a faith fight. We've got to fight it. Listen, we know this. The Apostle Apostle Paul quoted David when he said, We have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. We also believe, and we therefore speak. We need to begin speaking the word of God. Just like David, we've seen giants slain in our lives by our words. We'll do it again. We need to take control. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your promises are absolutely true. I thank you what David did was, was supernatural because he believed you. And Jesus, you said all things are possible to those that believe. I thank you for this group. I thank you, God, that in this room tonight there is a force of faith that the devil simply cannot withstand. And we declare that we see our lives as you've called them to be. We choose to take control tonight in Jesus' name.
Amen.